Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. We are ordinary people being transformed into passionate followers of Jesus. And our greatest desire is to join God in the remaking of all things. I hope this sermon gives you a little bit of a look into the life of our church. You can learn more and connect with us further, LafayetteNaz.org. Have a great day. Well, good morning. I want to welcome you to worship, and I want to thank you for joining with us today. We're beginning a new sermon series that will carry us through the month of December. And the sermon series is simply called, He Shall Be Called. And we're going to be talking through and walking through those names of Jesus that the prophet Isaiah says. He says, He will be called this. And then he lists out four sets of baby names. Now, we live in an era where you can name a baby anything and everything. I mean, you can name it after a city. You could probably name it after your favorite beverage and get away with it. You can name it after a celebrity. Whatever you want to name a baby, you can name a baby. But even today, no one names a baby Wonderful Counselor or Mighty God or Everlasting Father or Prince of Peace. (coughs) Excuse me. And if you do, if you're pregnant right now, and you want to name your baby that, well, I guess that's fine. You do you, but the rest of us will all turn up our eyebrows, and we'll all think to ourselves, what on earth? How could you possibly name your baby that? And so for the next four Sundays, we're going to be walking through this passage together, and these are going to be important sermons in the life of our church. We're in a season called Advent. And Advent is about participation, and it's about preparation. Advent is about us participating in the way of Jesus, because Jesus has been born. He has come. But it's also us preparing for what life will be like when Jesus comes back. So it's about preparation and participation. And what we hope to do during these next four weeks together is we hope to inspire you and call you to the reality of life where Jesus is King. So if you miss a week, catch up on the podcast. We'll post them every single Sunday. And today we begin our conversation by looking at that first name of Jesus, Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. And we have to begin this conversation by talking about the reality of the world that Isaiah was speaking into. And so Isaiah is a prophet from Israel, and Israel was God's chosen nation. And at the time, they were living in a very difficult place. In fact, this passage of Scripture talks out with referring to the people who were walking in darkness. And who were those people? Those people were the people that Isaiah was speaking to. The people who were supposed to carry the light of God into the world. The people who were supposed to be blessed by God so they could be a blessing were now living in a time of really difficult circumstances. Here's why. They were this tiny little nation. And they lived lived in this really important strip of land that was a part of all of these trade routes. And so every major empire that ever rose up to power always wanted to conquer 
this tiny little nation so that they could claim the tax revenue from, this, from these lucrative trade routes. And they had some neighbors to the north, and these neighbors were nasty. And they conquered people, and they destroyed people, and they made them look really, really bad in the process. I mean, it was humiliation, and these neighbors were making their way to them. And so they were beginning to realize what was going to happen to them. That unless some miracle occurred, unless God intervened in their midst, that they would be destroyed, and their homes would be destroyed, and many of them would lose their lives. And if they didn't lose their lives, they would be captured and separated from their home and relocated somewhere else in that nation's empire, and they'd never see their family again. They'd never know life as normal again. It was a really really dark time. So God says to Isaiah, I have a word, and I need you to speak this word to my people who are walking in darkness. And this is the word I want you to tell them. I want you to know that every garment that's covered in blood because of the, uh, the battle that's about to happen will be thrown, and it'll be fuel for the fire. Every warrior's boot will fuel that fire. And here's how this reversal of fortune will happen for you. A child will be born. That's the solution. This baby that will be born into the world. Because all of the authority in the whole world will rest upon this baby's shoulder. And here's what this baby will be called. He'll be called Wonderful counselor. That's who he'll be. He'll be a wonderful counselor. Now this past week, I, I did a little bit of crowdsourcing and asked people on social media about the worst advice that they'd ever received. Because there's some bad advice out there in the world. Like, there's some bad advice. Like, uh, you know, I, I, I'm thinking of a time when I was when I was younger and irresponsible and hanging out with the boys. And whenever you get teenage boys together, that's just like a bastion of bad advice. You know, I mean, it's just try it, man. Just try it. And, and so you jump off of roofs and, and you mountain bike down really steep slopes and you bunny hop when you shouldn't and you end up with broken collarbones. But, but it's not your fault. It's the fault of the person who gave you that that bad advice, and, 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 and there's a lot of bad advice out there, and, and some of the responses were, were really honestly interesting. Some of them were sad. Some of them were cringeworthy and should never have been shared in a public forum. But the one piece of advice that people kept referring to that was really, really bad is how people would say to them when they were in a difficult time, maybe a time when it was a little bit dark, just follow your heart. Just listen to your heart. And that sounds like really good advice if your heart can be trusted. But I think if we've learned anything throughout our years of life is that, and this is hard to say, but it's an honest truth that we need to admit, we just can't trust our heart. We can't do it. And so here were these people in this really difficult spot, and God said to them, this baby that's born, who will be the savior of the world, one of the ways he will save you is by being a wonderful counselor. 
wonder beyond understanding, counsel beyond comprehension. This baby will provide for you direction and guidance that your heart can't supply. This baby will give to you this new reality and this new outlook on life that is firm and can absolutely be trusted. This baby will become a wonderful counselor. And so what's really interesting about this counsel that God provides is that like any good counselor, this baby doesn't stand above it. This isn't some sort of king who rules from on high, who hasn't experienced the vulnerability and the difficulty and the pain and the brutality of life. I love how the writer of Hebrews puts this later on in Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews says this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We don't have that kind of high priest, but we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. In other words, this is not just a king who rules over us. This is a brother who lived with us and among us who's walked through every kind of temptation and difficulty and circumstance that we have, there's nothing that we might experience that God has not. This is the beauty of the Christmas story. It's the beauty of the reality of this baby who is being born with us, is that when you walk through this story, you see exactly this Reality, and one of the things that you see, and we overlook this because we turn Christmas into like this hallmark version of the Christmas story, is that Jesus was born into abject poverty. Abject poverty. He was born among a poor and oppressed people, and he was one of the most poor of those poor and oppressed people. And we know this for several reasons. First of all, he was born in a stable which means that his dad, Joseph, lacked the proper funding to secure lodging for his pregnant wife. And I know we have like those little manger scenes and they look so precious and so quaint, but it's hard to sentimentalize the reality of what that scene was like. I mean, no woman wants to give birth outside in the cold. No woman wants to give birth amidst animals. And if you've been around cows, you know they don't always smell so great. I mean, the manger scene didn't smell like your holiday candle. It didn't smell like cinnamon and nutmeg. I can promise you that. In fact, if you want to create like an authentic, real-life nativity scene this holiday season... Some of you who have dogs, maybe take some of your dog poo and smear it all over your nativity and manger scene so that you can get the reality of what that thing actually smelled like. Jesus was born into poverty. And here's another thing. When it came time for um, his parents to present Jesus in the temple, you would always offer a sacrifice with that. And if you had the means, you would offer the firstborn, like maybe like a lamb or a goat. But 
Jesus' parents couldn't afford that. So what did they do? They bought the cheapest animal they could buy in order to fulfill the law. They, they offered up a bird. And so at his birth, Jesus was laying down this pattern that he would repeat throughout his whole life. He was poor and rejected. He was born in a manger. I promise you I'm almost done with the the alarm. He was born in a manger. He died on a cross. At his birth, the innkeeper said, there's no room. And at his death, the crowd cried out, give us the other guy instead. At his birth, he was wrapped in rags. At his death, he was stripped naked in shame. At his birth, he was ignored by the whole world. At at his death, he even felt forsaken by his father. Poverty and rejection. That's the reality of the world that this baby who is the wonderful counselor was born into. Because if there's any salvation to be had, our sin must be assumed. If there's any healing to be received by us, our brokenness must be absorbed. And so the writer of Hebrews says it so well. We don't have this high priest who rules over us. We have this person who is subjected to the very kind of conditions that all of us are. He was tempted in every way, yet without sin. And so the first thing you need to know about the wonderful counselor is that this is someone who gets it, who's been there. If you're this, here this morning and you feel rejected, if you feel broken, if you feel ashamed, you need to know Jesus felt every single thing you feel. This is what I love about Jesus as the wonderful counselor. Is that Jesus came to save people and to be with people who have problems. Who have problems. And I haven't had many brilliant or original insights into the Bible. But let me give you the most brilliant insight I've ever had. You ready? Every miracle that Jesus performed started with a problem. It started with a problem. His miracles weren't like magic tricks. You know, he wasn't out to prove anything. His miracles started because he interacted with someone. Someone came upon his life's journey, and that person had a problem. They had an issue. And so his miracles engaged hunger. They engaged poverty. They engaged disease. They engaged brokenness. They even engaged death. And so the good news is is that if you are here this morning and you have a problem, you are in the perfect position in your life for Jesus to make himself known to you and to meet that need. They always, the miracles, the work of Jesus, it always started with his interaction with someone that he loved. And that person that he loved had a problem. No problems, no miracles. But if you're here this morning 
and you have something that you need to be fixed. Some counsel that you need to receive. You're in a great position for Jesus to meet that need. And so Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Not someone who rules above us, but someone who makes himself known to us as being with us. With us. And he hasn't come to just give us advice. Sometimes I, my, my fear is that our approach to Jesus is that we're just looking for information from Jesus. Just like a little bit of advice from Jesus on how to live our life a little bit better. But that's not the kind of counsel that Jesus has come to bring. He, he hasn't just come to speak advice into us. He's come for us to receive love and healing and salvation, which opens up a new way of life. So Jesus hasn't come just to give advice. He's come to open up for us a new way of life. And here's what that requires. For us to approach Jesus as the wonderful counselor, it requires some things for us. The first is this, we have to be brutally honest with him. We have to be brutally honest with him. Every counselor will tell you that until you are completely honest about your problems, that you're not yet ready to receive help for them. We have to be brutally, brutally honest. And listen, I I get it. There's a tendency for us to want to keep the real truth like kind of buried inside. There's this tendency for us to want to have this like veneer and think that that or like that filter that we apply to our life, that that's the real thing. But but until we're able to approach Jesus and that filter to be dissolved away from our life so he can see us unmasked for who we really are, we're not ready to receive that kind of help. We have to be fully open and fully honest. There's a story that I just want to reference real quick that demonstrates this so well. It's found in John chapter 4. And and, and Jesus is passing through town and he's headed towards Jerusalem and he ends up in, in like passing through Samaria. And it's the middle of the day and he's hot and he's thirsty and he goes to a well. And a woman actually is there at the, at the middle of the day drawing some water from the well, which is totally weird. Nobody would ever do that. It's like going to the supermarket at 2 in the morning when your kid isn't sick. You're just going to the supermarket at 2 in the morning because you want to avoid everyone. You're ashamed of everybody. You don't want to bump into anyone. And so you purposely and intentionally go, go then so that you don't have to be seen. And that's what this woman was up to. She was embarrassed. She was ashamed. She goes to get her water for the day at a time when no one would do that. Jesus happens to be there. And he strikes up a conversation with this woman. And, and asks for some water. And, and, and the whole conversation ensues. And Jesus at one point in time references her husband. And she had in that moment an opportunity to be real or to be fake. She could be completely transparent with Jesus or she could like be fake and, and, and just like make it a little less awkward for herself because the reality is she didn't have a husband. And so she said to Jesus in that moment, she, she took this bold step. She was like, um, I don't have a husband. She came clean. She was honest. And he said, yeah, I know you've had, you've had five. And the reality is in our life, Until and unless 
we are willing to face up and to be completely vulnerable and honest with God. Until and unless we're ready to do that, we're not making ourselves available to receive the healing and the grace that God has for us. That's the first step. We have to be transparent, fully, completely transparent with Jesus. And remember who you're being transparent with. You're not being transparent and open and vulnerable, vulnerable with someone who will use that against you. You're being open and transparent with someone who has endured all of the things you're scared to admit. Someone who has walked through it and suffered underneath it but also someone who has blazed a trail through it and beyond it to the other side. Let's be open. Let's be honest. Let's be vulnerable and transparent with this wonderful counselor. And the second thing is we have to actually want to be healed. And this sounds so self-explanatory because you would say, who wouldn't want to? But the reality is, is that that new world that is open for us on the other side of healing is sometimes so scary to us because all that we've known is the cycle of brokenness in our life. But in order for us to get to this place where the wonderful counselor can do his work within us, we actually have to want to be healed, the first question that any good counselor will ask is, do you want to change? Do you really want to change? And it sounds so innocent. It sounds so obvious because you're thinking in your mind, I wouldn't be in this office if I didn't want to change. Of course I want to change. I found myself in a counseling environment a few weeks ago and I, listen, I'm not a great counselor. I'm more of a spiritual director, but I've been taught how to listen and how to ask questions and to never give my own advice and to allow the person that I'm talking to to kind of come to their own conclusions. And I, I found myself in an environment recently where I was having a conversation like that and asking questions. And it was a great, it was a great time of, of listening and sharing together. And I, I was about to say to the person, you know what? I think you have everything inside of yourself. I think you have all that you need in order to know what to do in this situation. But then I was also thinking about this sermon. And I was thinking about Jesus as the wonderful counselor. And, and I kind of stopped myself. And I wasn't yet aware of the person's spiritual condition. I, I didn't know if they wanted to follow Jesus or if they... I, I, didn't, I didn't know any of that yet. We, we, we weren't to that stage. And so instead of saying to them, I think you have all the answers you need, just listen, listen to yourself. Instead of saying that, I said, you know, um, this has been a great chat. And you've been so open and so honest. And I'm very appreciative of that. And I'm not going to try to act like I know all of the answers but I'm not sure you do either. So can I just ask you a question? You talk to God about this at all? Have you, have you brought this before the Lord yet? Because I don't trust myself enough 
and you're here because you don't trust yourself enough. But I'm pretty sure we can trust God in this situation. And the person in that moment said, listen, I don't even know what that would mean. I don't know how to take it before the Lord. I don't know my whole life. My whole life I've, I've made decisions based upon what I thought was best. And I said, that's great. But you're here because it hasn't worked. Let's try a different approach. And I think I would say the same thing, and I would hope someday someone would say that to me as well. If you want to get well, we have to admit that we got ourselves into this place in the first place. And we got ourselves here by just listening to ourselves. And if Jesus is going to be the wonderful counselor in our life, that means that we're not. And if Jesus is going to be the one to show us a new way of life, it means that the way of life that we default to doesn't get us to where we want to go. It always kind of gets us right up to the edge and then starts to fall apart. So the first thing we have to ask ourselves is, do we want to be healed? Do we want to get well? And if we want to be healed and if we want to get well, then we can't do it ourselves. We have to allow God to provide that counsel for us, to open up that new way of life for us. So if Jesus is going to be the wonderful counselor for us, it means, number one, we have to get brutally honest. Number two, it means that we have to want to be healed. And then finally is this, we actually have to do what he says. And this is a trust thing. This is a trust thing. So any good child who's parented by good father or a good mother, they will, that child will know ultimately, and they might rebel against this a little bit, but they, they'll know ultimately that their mom or dad wants, want what is best for them. So, you know, just this morning I was ironing my shirt and um, our son Luke came in and Luke, um, uh, confession, I don't do a ton of ironing, I'm sorry, um, but so Luke had probably never seen me do this activity before. And Luke is curious, like almost all four-year-old boys are curious and kind of instinctively was reaching like for the iron, right? And I, I kind of was like, oh, 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 oh. And I startled him a little bit. And I was like, buddy, don't touch that. Don't touch that. That's hot. That will burn. That will burn you. And Luke didn't challenge me on that. He, he pulled his hand away. Why? Because he knew that I was looking out for him. I didn't, I didn't want him to get hurt. He trusted me. He trusted me. And if we want to receive or if we want to approach Jesus as our wonderful counselor, there's a trust element there. And whenever I found myself in my own spiritual journey to a place where I've gotten really vulnerable and transparent with God, I do actually want to be changed, but I'm still not really able to break through and to receive that healing. A lot of the time, it's because I've recognized deep within my own soul and my own spirit, I'm, I'm not sure that I can trust God with that. I'm just not sure that I can. And I think you've felt those same things too. 
Because once we release control and we release trust, it feels out of our hands. It feels out of our power. And when we have the power and when we have the control, even if it's not working, we, we still feel like, like we're playing a part in this. But to say to God, this is the thing, and I'm going to trust you to the point where I'm going to do what you say is hard, especially when it feels counterintuitive. So when God says through the words, through the counsel of his scripture, like, you know, I say to you, if someone strikes you on one cheek, turn the other cheek to them. That's hard. Or if someone, or, or, or when Jesus says through the counsel of his scripture, like, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you, that feels hard and out of our control. And when Jesus says through the counsel of his scripture, like, listen, carry their pack and go the extra mile for them, even though they're taking advantage of you, you just go that extra mile for them because I want you to serve them and love them in that way. That, that feels hard and, and out of our control. And the, the truth is, it's tough to trust the results when what we see around us is so contrary to that. But when we do that, we rob ourselves of receiving the most wonderful counsel that could ever be provided to us. Think about this piece of scripture. Here's this big, nasty army. And they're going to hurt you and your family. And they're going to burn your village down. And they're going to capture you and relocate you. And, and Isaiah says, here's God's solution. I got this baby. I got this baby. Now listen, I love babies. Love them to death. But you know what babies can't do? They can't even, when they're first born, roll over unassisted. They can't. They can't eat, like pick up some food and stick it in their mouth. You know, they, they are completely dependent. And so can you imagine those people thinking to, them, to themselves, oh, this is God's great rescue plan. He's sending somebody to us that we're going to have to care for. It's completely counterintuitive. It's a full reversal. But this is the wonderful counsel of God. Someone who absorbs it all. Walks through it all suffers it all and ultimately ends up vindicated so that all of us who absorb it all and suffer it all and are buried with him will be raised to new life in him. Do you want to be remade this Advent season? Begin to approach Jesus as your wonderful counselor. Get really honest and vulnerable with him. Actually desire in your heart to change and be prepared to trust him and do what he says.